Christian Philosophy, written by Joseph M. Detour, read by Joseph Freundorfer, with permission from Synoctala Publishers. Forward, written by the author, in Manila, Feast of Christ the King, 1979. The Christian faith, that is, the faith in the divinity of Jesus Christ and the church founded by him, is not an achievement of human philosophy but a gift from God granted to those who become like little children before him. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God as a little child will not enter into it. Mark chapter 10, verses 14 to 15. I praise thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and prudent, and didst reveal them to little ones. From the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 21. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 5. It is a gift from God, not something coming from human power, and when man receives it, it makes him blessed. That is, it enhances and fulfills him. It transforms his entire life. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to thee, but my Father in heaven. From the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 16 to 17. He who believes in me has life everlasting, from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 47. This transformation, however, does not happen without man's cooperation. For though man does not have the power to transform himself into a son of God, he does have the capacity, if he cooperates, to be transformed by God's grace into a son of God, so as to share in the divine nature of as Peter says. This human cooperation consists in the opening of the human intelligence to the light of divine revelation, the submission of the human will to God's commandments, and the surrendering of the human heart to the divine love. Man seeks God in his heart, but nothing can be loved unless it is known, so that the believer needs to turn his whole mind towards divine revelation with childlike humility and a trusting heart. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. When in the first centuries of Christianity, the Gnostics were placing human knowledge, gnosis, above religious faith, faith, pistis, and therefore human philosophy above divine revelation, some Christians reacted by repudiating philosophy and holding on to the faith alone, Quia absurdum, with an anti-rational attitude, which has spawned many heresies through the centuries, such as the fideism and traditionalism condemned by the church in the 19th century, and is conspicuous both in Islamic theology and in Lutheran Protestantism with their negative vision of human reason and its powers. Other Christians, however, such as St. Justin, St. Irenaeus, and Clement of Alexandria took their stand on a Christian gnosis based on faith 
in divine revelation, as opposed to the pagan gnosis based on the darkness of the human mind without faith. This Christian gnosis would be the wisdom of human reason enlightened and uplifted by faith. For a believer, the first thing is his faith, that pearl of great price, that treasure hidden in a field, for which he must be ready to sell everything he has. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. And about which he cannot have the slightest doubt, since it comes from God, who can neither deceive nor be deceived, as the First Vatican Council stated in 1870. And, in this sense, we ought to follow St. Paul's indication. See to it that no one deceives you by philosophy and vain deceit according to human traditions, according to the elements of the world, and not according to Christ. But in trying to understand and live what he has accepted by faith, the believer has no choice but to use his intelligence. This faith, seeking understanding, as St. Augustine and St. Anselm described it, is called theology. Reason does not cease to be reason by being enlightened by faith, and thus the early Christians, both in defending the reasonableness of the faith against pagan attacks, and in trying to penetrate into its mysteries and apply it to their daily lives, created a philosophy, that is, a body of concepts and insights, a treasury of wisdom, generated by the theological effort to understand the faith and make it a way of life. Their living as Christians simulated their thinking as Christians, and this thinking brought new light into their lives. What happened to the early Christians is bound to happen to every sincere Christian of any time and place. He needs to have a philosophy, a way of thinking and living, a Christian philosophy to act as a link between his faith and his life, and as a vehicle of communication with all other men of any culture, religion, or background, with whom he can establish a dialogue that can lead those men to his faith, as St. Thomas showed in his Summa Contra Gentiles, in which he makes a philosophical exposition of the preambles to the faith, and defends the faith against errors, that is, how the Christian faith answers, from a higher plane, the most far-reaching questions of human reason, and even carries it beyond itself. If the believer lacks this philosophy, in other words, if he is not well instructed in his faith by an intellectual grasp of it, joined to a sincere and living piety, his reason very soon goes on its own, leaving the faith in the domain of feelings or meaningless traditions or customs. Thus religion is split from life, and the Christian no longer thinks or makes decisions in the light of Christian principles. In a comparatively simple setting, such as a peaceful rural community, this absence of Christian philosophy may not do much harm if the setting is Christian, because in that case there is always a remnant of wisdom. But we must admit that our 20th century world is anything but simple. The Christian finds himself now in a highly sophisticated but shallow environment due to the universal spread of education. Half-baked ideas proliferate and multiply at a bewildering rate due to the growing efficiency of the mass media and the whole tempo of life is in constant acceleration. This situation, rather than instant remedies and shortcuts, requires a much more careful philosophical and theological training in the Christian. With piety alone, 
without doctrine, there is a great risk of being unable to cope with the pressure of false doctrines. Of course, it is clear that with philosophy alone the risk is even greater. The Christian must unify his life with the blend of piety and doctrine on the basis of a deep and childlike humility, whose chief expression should be the desire to learn. If you abide in my word, you shall be my disciples, indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 8 verses 31 to 32. It would be difficult to put the need for this unity of life in the Christian better than the late Monsignor Escriva de Balagur, founder of Opus Dei does, in Christ is Passing By. A life of prayer and penance, together with an awareness of our divine affiliation, transforms us into Christians whose piety is truly deep. We become little children at the feet of God. Piety is the virtue of children. And if the child is to take refuge in the arms of his father, he must be and know that he is small, needy. We are to be pious then, as pious as children, but not ignorant, in so far as possible. Each of us should study the faith seriously, rigorously, all of which means theology. Ours should be the piety of children and the sure doctrine of theologians. Our desire to advance in theological knowledge and sound, firm, Christian doctrine is sparked above all by the will to know and love God. It likewise stems from the concern of a faithful soul to attain the deepest meaning of the world, seen as coming from the hands of God. If the world has come from God, if he has created man in his image and likeness, and given him a spark of divine light, the task of our intellect should be to uncover the divine meaning embedded in all things by their nature, even if this can be attained only by dint of hard work. We can never be afraid of developing human knowledge, because all intellectual effort, if it is serious, is aimed at truth, and Christ had said, I am the truth. The Christian must have a hunger to know. Everything from the most abstract knowledge to manual techniques can and should lead to God, for there is no human undertaking which cannot be sanctified, which cannot be an opportunity to sanctify ourselves and to cooperate with God in the sanctification of the people with whom we work. A century ago, on August 4th, 1879, Pope Leo XIII issued the encyclical Eterni Patris, with this subtitle, On the Restoration in Catholic Schools of Christian Philosophy According to the Mind of the Angelic Doctor St. Thomas Aquinas. Towards the close of his long pontificate in 1903, this same pontiff declared that he regarded that encyclical as his most important, since it laid the foundation for all his subsequent teachings on man, society, marriage, labor, and the state. In this encyclical, Leo XIII points out that reason is the guide of man and, therefore, if the understanding go wrong in anything, the will easily follows. Hence, it comes about that wicked opinions in the understanding flow into the human actions and make them bad. On the other hand, if the mind of man be healthy and strongly grounded in solid and true principles, it will assuredly be the source of great blessings, both as regards 
the good of individuals, and as regards the common weal. We do not, indeed, attribute to human philosophy such force and authority as to judge it sufficient for the utter shutting out and uprooting of all errors. When the Christian religion was first established by the wondrous light of faith shed abroad, not in the persuasive words of human wisdom, but in showing of the spirit and power, the whole world was restored to its primeval dignity. So also now, chiefly from the almighty power and help of God, we may hope that the darkness of error will be taken away from the minds of men and that they will repent. But we must not despise or undervalue those natural helps which are given to man by the kindness and wisdom of God, who strongly and sweetly orders all things. And it stands to reason that a right use of philosophy is the greatest of these helps. For God did not give the light of reason in vain to the soul of man, nor does the superadded light of faith quench or even lessen the strength of understanding. Its effect is far from this. It perfects the understanding, gives it new strength, and makes it fit for greater works. The very nature of the providence of God himself therefore makes it needful for us to seek the safeguard in human knowledge when we strive to bring back the people to faith and salvation. Both extremes must be avoided, a fideism or a traditionalism that spurns reason and a rationalism that puts reason above faith. And since St. Thomas Aquinas is the Christian teacher who has best done justice to both faith, theology, and reason, philosophy, the Church has consistently regarded him as her universal doctor, down to the recent Second Vatican Council from 1962 to 65, which took the unprecedented step for an ecumenical council of the Church, of mentioning him by name in this respect in two of its official documents, the decree on priestly formation, optatum totius, and the declaration on Christian education, gravissimum educationis, and in 1974, on the occasion of the seventh centenary of St. Thomas's death, Pope Paul VI officially ratified the Church's stand on this. The present book aims to give an exposition of that Christian philosophy, so much needed by the Christian who wishes to let his faith guide and enrich his own life and spread its light and warmth in this turbulent world. You are the light of the world, a city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under the measure, but upon the lampstand, so as to give light to all in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men, in order that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. I also wish to acknowledge my indebtedness to the late Etienne Gilson, a true disciple of St. Thomas Aquinas, for all his works in general, but in particular his enlightening elucidation of the meaning of Christian philosophy in his book, The Philosopher and Theology. May the present book, by a fitting centennial commemoration of the encyclical Eterni Patris, by providing a glimpse of that Christian wisdom that our era needs, in the words of the Second Vatican Council in Gaudium et Spes, more than bygone ages, if the discoveries made by man are to be further humanized, for the future of the world stands in peril, 
unless wiser men are forthcoming.